Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We're happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. A warm hello to all our listeners on the Software People Stories. How often did you believe that your solution or product is simple to use? Can you really change a consumer's mind? And did you seriously think that your idea is worth something? Think again, or rather listen to our latest episode of the Software People Stories. This is a conversation between Jayesh Chakravarti, co-founder and CEO of Recast Technologies, with Shivaguru from PM Power Consulting. Jayesh shares his views on change management through continuous understanding of a customer and also calls out his ideal of a good architect and how this individual is relevant in software architecture today. Jayesh also shares at length his insights on leadership ranging from styles and experiences from his own leadership journey, some of which included intentionally hiring people who brought in diversity in thought and opinion. He also poses a thought-provoking question on who is a full-stack leader. Listen on. So welcome, Jayesh, to the Software People Stories. I'm thrilled to have you as uh, probably the first person who also brings in aspects of how do you sell or convince people to use IT-based solutions. We normally start with uh, the guest introducing oneself and then see how the conversation goes. Thank you, Shiv. Uh, it's indeed an honor especially so because I know you as well as all your colleagues and I know the wonderful work which you've been doing in supporting the industry over the last decade or so. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be part of your podcast. Uh, as an introduction, my name is Jayesh Chakravarti. Uh, I currently run a startup called Recast Technologies of which I'm the CEO and co-founder. Uh, for many years, 13 to be precise, uh, I worked as the country head for technology for Fidelity Investments in their offshore facility. Uh, prior to that, I spent five years with a then startup called Mindtree Consulting, uh, before which I was uh, in Sun Microsystems, which is now part of Oracle. And I started my career or cut my teeth uh, in Wipro Infotech in those days, where I worked for about seven or eight years. So about 30 years of uh, experience professionally. Uh, I am a dyed-in-the-wool Bangalorean, been here for over 40 years, but for brief excursions abroad or to other parts of India, brief two-year, three-year period. Uh, and I have three children and I live in South Bangalore. The moment you say Bangalore, I think there's a whole set of questions. We'll probably come to that later. And I also remember our first uh, interaction was when uh, you know, we were, I was part of uh, Tata's and then we were trying to buy a Sun in a server. So from those days, when uh, 
people were going in for, okay, Sun was probably one of the, the open source things with Solaris and things compared to the mainframes that were there. How have you seen the change in terms of people wanting to not go for very proprietary or is it moving towards the cloud and more open? But even on the cloud, we say that it is all still getting proprietary lock-ins are there. Sure, Shiv. Uh, and I'm glad you remember those good old days. I, I think India has always been an open systems business. Early adoption has been uh, one of the hallmarks of the industry, the business and commerce. Of course, necessity is the mother of all invention. One of the problems, I would say, which became an opportunity is that we are always short of funds or budgets, uh, of the money we have to invest in information technology. And that, to my mind, proved to be an enormous advantage to the business, knowingly with many and unknowingly with others. They would always find, as you call, the shortest distance between the problem and the solution. And uh, that's what happened in India. So if we go back to the Tata Burroughs days, Air India and Indian Airlines might have had a mainframe and few others might have had a mainframe. But the adoption of Unix, uh, followed by the adoption of distributed computing, uh, and then in more recent times, uh, the adoption of intranet and internet, and now the cloud, there is never a short shortcoming in terms of the speed and velocity with which people have adopted. But specifically, when it comes to selling or making someone choose a particular solution in software, hardware, at least you get something physical. Yes. How have you handled it or what kind of challenges have you seen then? And what kind of challenges with recast, which is more as a service, not even probably software directly that you sell, right? Uh, I, I think when you talk of selling or convincing the larger aspect of marketing to a consumer in India and the world, there are two, three dimensions in which you must be strong. The first dimension is you must know the solution which you're selling, which means you must understand a little bit below the surface in terms of what is the technology, what does it do, and what is the customer's need and what business he is in. I will call that as one dimension. Uh, the second dimension, I would say, is uh, the ability to relate, build a relationship, understand the culture, understand the priorities of the person or the business across, uh, which is understanding the ecosystem, the priorities, the culture, and so on. That I would call the second dimension. And the third dimension, Guru, would be ability to communicate very effectively so that you are able to, without telling any lie, but still present your solution in the best possible manner. Uh, I talked of these three dimensions, Shiv, because uh, I find that on the first dimension, Indian salespeople are very good in terms of the understanding of the solution, the technology, and so on. Because unlike in the US, much of this industry has salespeople who are engineers qualified to understand technology. And therefore, you, when you sell in the Indian environment to various corporations, you find the CIO on the other side who's buying your solution. Also very, very savvy in terms of technology. So one thing that gets honed very, very sharply is your ability to handle technical questions and negotiations. Uh, and that has stood us in good stead when companies like Wipro, Infosys, and TCS have gone abroad because these salespeople, I have seen them blossoming in the international market. 
But there is a shortfall on the other two scale, which I think the industry has overcome over a period of time. That is the ability to communicate effectively. I think the fact that India became, through the software industry, international, has done a whole lot of good in terms of developing people's communication skills, salespeople, support people, as well as their ability to appreciate cultures beyond the four walls of their home and that their society. In some sense, we were frogs in a well. And by selling to General Electric and Boeing, as opposed to selling to State Bank of India or Asia Bound Reverie in India, you uh, understood different cultures, different people, and so on. And that has been an enormous uh, learning, and it's had an impact on society. Okay, I thought I'll ask this later since you said Bangalore, but then let me ask this now. Since yes. uh, you're talking about another culture and other aspects related to that, it can be a lighter answer also. Sure. Now we are talking about smart cities, bringing in technology everywhere. But when you go out on the Bangalore roads, how much can technology really help in making things better? <laughs> Thank you for asking that question. It's been in my mind all the time. India is full of uh, contrasts and not contradiction. Contrasts for sure. When you go in the roads of Bangalore and you say, adopt making it a smart city, you wonder, what will you do? And I have this theory, change management or changing the culture and habits and discipline of people is very, very difficult. I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion, it's not easily doable at all. And therefore, what can change the environment and the people is technology. And I'm not saying it because I come from a background of uh, uh, technology all my life. uh, I'll give you an example, and you may disagree with me. It is very hard for me to make Shiv or Jayesh or a driver or an Uber taxi driver become utterly disciplined uh, in a matter of six months. He will be what he will be. He will honk. He will tailgate another car. He will overspeed. But slowly, if I can bring semi-autonomous or autonomous cars in this city, it may be very painful initially, but that can solve our problems completely. So there are two types of uh, approach to a big solution, big big problems like, you know, making a city more disciplined and so on. One is, of course, change the culture, create the change management, which is important. And for many problems, that's the only solution you have. And we keep on working at it, and it may take a decade or even more to do that. The other one is a sort of interjection of technology all of a sudden. And then, wow, everything changes. And, and an example is the cell phone, mobile phone itself. There was a point in time in India, not very long before the mobile phones came, to, where you would go to the ISD booth or the STD booth and make a call back to your home. Now, I know a friend of mine whose grandmother is in Bantwan near Mangalore and every day she does a FaceTime with her son and the grandson in the US and she has a fourth generation. He has a small baby and she sees the baby on the video. If you put the clock back 15 years ago, you and I would have said, wow, this sounds like something out of a James Bond movie. Uh, so I do believe there is hope for us uh, when you talk about the Bangalore problems. I think technology can cut through sometimes uh, and shorten the time it takes to uh, bring about a change. That's very interesting. Since you're also a startup now, 
when yeah. we have these futuristic ideas or ideas that we think will change the world or uh, will going to impact significantly how do you go about validating those ideas it's uh, it's probably the, the question is very relevant because it's probably the toughest part of uh, of introducing a solution to a market whether you're a large company or a small company uh, each has its own set of problems first is the the developers or the founders mindset we all think we know what others want and maybe it's partly true but we don't know the nuances of what they want that's number one and therefore you have to validate it in different ways if you're a startup you don't have money to do huge market research and testing in the market so you go around collecting your own set of people take a pilot market and do it. Right. if you're a large company you have to pour in money and resources to test it in various markets in which you want to introduce and listen and take that feedback uh, very important uh, in this context there's another problem when you have large companies with very strong design and uh, development people egos are high they think they know what they are doing often you pour money and you get great feedback from the market but you find bureaucracy and difficult politics within the company to move the needle in terms of incorporating those changes i would say these are all part of the difficulty you have when you say how do you check the pulse of what the consumer or the customer wants the answer is you may find out but implementing it whether you're a small company or a large company has its own set of problems uh, the bigger learning i found shift from my startup is we often say you know we've been i've been working for two three decades and then i would say oh i know every solution has to be very simple if the solution is complex it's hard to implement there is nothing farther from the truth if you believe that your solution is simple you think it is simple but really for it to be adopted in the market it should be 10 times simpler if your solution means asking the customer to open his mobile app of your app go to screen 1 and say something go to screen 2 and go to screen 3 rest assured it doesn't work uh, it may seem three clicks but you will find that initially for your solution to be adopted you need one click or zero click and therefore you got to figure what to do and if you have to therefore sacrifice functionality you have to do it one of the biggest things is just like in democracy you don't change the consumer mind you cannot you you can spend millions of dollars and you can't change. they will do what they want to do and they, their moods and feelings towards your app will be what it is or your solution and therefore it has to be absolutely tailor made and simplified for that uh, triggers another question yeah which is something that um, i've seen uh, i used to volunteer with uh, a volunteer driven organization mainly to evangelize starting up where we find a lot of people who come with ideas and uh, think that if i write an app then uh, i can start up yes but the aspect of an ecosystem that is needed or even for them to use your application if it is a service what other dependencies are there and so on uh, do you have any experience or tips to share for someone to validate the idea not only as a technology idea but it being a feasible business sure certainly uh, and i think this is relevant i am experiencing this as i move forward uh, i'll start this by saying that an idea is worth nothing it's worth zero uh, as harsh as it may sound shit. 
and an implementation of it in terms of an app a solution or a software is worth very little maybe a delta ultimately adoption of it where the customer says hey i love it uh, or i like it or okay i will try it any any one of these graded answers is what you are looking for and the question is how do you reach this point there are many things that needs to be done both from a technology solution as well as management point of view as i understood first i would say if you are a startup and you are very strong in technology have multiple co-founders do not think that you will solve the world's hunger problem with your coding without your coding the business won't go anywhere the startup won't go anywhere granted accept it but have people who have a contrarian view contrarian experience uh, experience of a different sort who can then challenge you and say this might be a fabulous set of python code and it's worth absolutely nothing for me it's worthless uh, you might have used all the great principles of coding but, but you can keep and play with it yourself you know you need people like that so first uh, thing i would say in a startup is have people with different mindset and different experiences and different points of view and then you need a leader because it will sometimes be very generous gentle fights sometimes it gets nasty but that's where leadership comes in to say you make everybody at the end of the day shake hands and have a beer and be uh, feel happy and go back home satisfied shiv the the second aspect of this is change management i have concluded that although it sounds very vague and therefore people may brush it off one must understand what it is and give it give it all the weight and respect it is due because to me change management in selling a solution to a customer or being successful in selling a product is probably 10x tougher than developing technology there's only one exception if the technology is an extraordinary breakthrough technology for example sony came up with walkman and one of the important things uh, they we all learned from that is it was such a breakthrough technology that no market research could have told you that there was a need they converted a desire into a product so yeah. there are outliers and exceptions like that maybe the ipod could be one such thing or maybe apple could fall into that category but for many startups where you use existing cutting edge technology change management is important which means you got to have people who are all the time checking out how the consumer the relevant consumer of your solution is using it do they use it do they not use it and constantly give feedback to your uh, technology uh, people to say provide it in a way it should be done and the third part and a little technology related when you are a startup uh, you somehow forget the bigger architecture uh, of your solution and look to provide what will work immediately and i have uh, over the years always felt a good architect the greatest architect uh, in the world to me surprise it might surprise you is mendeleev the person okay. who created the periodic table he created that beautiful scorecard uh, the card with places and even elements which were not invented or discovered later found a place in it right to me mendeleev is the role model for an architect so if you are an architect designing technology you must plan for anything and everything that you can plug in you can integrate you can connect you could call it apis you can call it blocks whatever but 
an architecture should be such that it should discontinuity should not be there in which case you end up spending huge sums of money you end up disrupting consumers and so therefore that is the third part that in a startup you might be a great coder you might be a great technologist but spend time on the architecture as well so three things if i were to summarize change management uh, a good mix of founders and third focusing on long term like the architecture yeah that seems to be a very simple formula but i'm sure there's a lot of challenges in implementing all that and i would like to you know, dwell a little deeper on the first one when you talked about yeah. change management from yeah. your own experience you've been in small companies that grew and then you've been in gic's now in a startup so the few aspects related to change management or at least taking the organization with you as a leader mm-hmm. where the demands from the market or from your customers could be different suddenly something that was a very small team has become a big team or the other way how do you handle those kinds of changes and i think uh, this is important especially in the context of the industry we come from although it is much hyped leadership is an important aspect of success no question at all, at all about it i think people management gurus and consultants have done a disservice to it by talking too much about it so there is more talk than practice which is the problem but otherwise leadership as a core value in a professional environment is very 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 important and can mean success or failure and the first aspect of it shiv is that leadership has to be very flexible meaning the type of leadership you bring in a industry like manufacturing and what you bring in software services are all very 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 different in fact it's quite possible that a successful leader in one will be an utter failure in the other and i say this because if you look before our software industry came into being you found the larger than life leaders whom can i think of you know you had sumant mulgonkar as thought of very highly the head of tata motors then called telco Uh, rusi modi uh, head of tata steel or called tisco and so on people who knew how to manage large labor force generate productivity out of them handle union related issues handle issues of uh, managing a large blue collar workforce and that was an expertise in itself and one must uh, give them enormous credit salute them for what they did but i dare say if you move that same person into an or a wipro today because now the leadership requirement in this is totally different you now have a set of intellectual people who are generally competitive ambitious interested in the pursuit of knowledge interested in proving themselves and therefore there is a fundamental difference in the psyche of a a worker if i may call in a software industry versus a manufacturing industry and it took a while for our leaders to in the software industry to understand that sometimes benign neglect helps a lot more than pesky interference so you don't need to have everyday morning meetings at 7:30 and say how much lines you've coded what is your productivity why have you not followed up on this why have you not done that that's disastrous people have understood this and i i am emily pointing to a problem which existed largely in the past but perhaps in pockets now that you let people be because they are ambitious and they're capable and then you steer them in terms of making them understand context 
making them understand customers, customers' businesses, motivating them. And I talked about three dimensions, right? Competency, communication, culture, strengthening them in areas which our engineering colleges and computer science, our education system asset does not provide. Therefore, the leader has to be uh, very different. In fact, one on a lighter note, one of the areas which I would focus on as a leader is how to give them the bigger context. And people would say, what does bigger context mean? It's like the good old surgeon coming out of the operation theater and saying, oh, the operation was absolutely successful, but the patient is dead. Is a project management mentality to my mind. That I have completed my project and I let's all celebrate. But you know what? This project is part of a bigger project which has gone under and uh, the customer is very unhappy. That's a context setting exercise to say, don't celebrate what you have done. You are a microcosm of a larger solution which is being created, etc. That's an example of a leadership principles have required to make this successful are very, very different from the past. And if I were to characterize it as a, as I sum up this answer, I would say a lot of delegation, but not dereliction. That means you know what's going on, but you don't just uh, poke your nose. Uh, low ego in the sense you are a leader, but that doesn't mean you know everything. You're there to assist and support rather than to rule. Three, ability to be flexible. And that's very important. There are time, Most times you allow them to do what they want. But when there is a crisis, you need to command the respect to take over and say, I want these seven steps to be implemented. You will not do anything else. Mm. But it's an outlier, but nevertheless, such crisis situation comes. And four, motivating people looking at culture rather than just operation in terms okay. of the larger aspect. These are some of the traits I would say are very essential for the leadership of today in our in our context. So have you seen your own leadership style change either over the years or in different roles that you have played across various organizations? Yes, uh, it has changed substantially. Uh, and uh, I would say I'm proud and ashamed of it. Ashamed that I did not see the maturity required in my earlier days, uh, but proud that I finally made the shift which I need to make. And a little bit of anxiety on how can I convey this to others so that it's not just experience which teaches them how to mellow and how to change. How can they change ahead of time depending on the environment to show different styles of leadership? These are three thoughts which often uh, come to my mind, which is why I'm writing a book right now, not on leadership, but a novel uh, where I have tried to gently advise people. And my style, I started my career, like you mentioned earlier, as a salesman. And I was always taught that a salesperson needs to be tough, uh, task-oriented, goal-oriented, numbers-oriented, and uh, a problem solver, regardless of how things happen. So those were the days when I would take enormous pride in solving problems, which was the plus point. And the negatives were that I would compromise on processes. The very famous Indian word, which I'm sure will find its way to the dictionary soon, Jugaad. I yeah. would take enormous satisfaction in being a hero and solving a problem instead of carrying the team. Success came my way. But over a period, I even there, I realized if you're a salesperson, the salespeople I had, because I was in a computer industry, you know, I have sold to you. Yeah. We're all engineers and MBA students from uh, man good management institutes. And you didn't need to push them that hard. They knew what they had to do. And you, you had to provide a gentle supporting. 
so the first big change, uh, wave of change that happened to me is uh, delegation, where mm. give elbow room or space for them to operate. This was the first leadership style change. The second was the very tough one is to suppress your own ego. When yeah. you are a leader, uh, I had seen my leaders from the past, which is good. You learn from them, but then the future is not about the past, right? They were the people who you stood up when they came into the room, both out of respect and out of their uh, role. Mm. But you then realize, and they would brook no argument because they were intelligent people. And they, then you realize in the new world, you must have people who contradict you. Uh, respect, you have to earn every day, however difficult and painstaking it is, you cannot demand it. So I became more tolerant of hiring people, nurturing people who are contrarians, who would not always respect you completely. That does not mean I wanted anarchy in the team. I mean, if things went very bad and a person was very difficult, then I would let her go or let him go. But certainly the tolerance to have people who are willing to speak out, contradict you, uh, was part of ego suppression in my mind. Uh, the third part was, uh, I would say, again, patience. Delegation is uh, easy. Often you find that you can do this much quicker, faster, better, have better quality than that person. But give that person time, allow her to stumble a little bit, and then come back, and she will turn out to be very, very good. So. The measuring space, I increase substantially. So don't judge a person through one window of opportunity of one month. Six months. Give each person a long rope so that they, they fall, they pick themselves up, and then at the end of the day, you have a good evaluation. You've given enough opportunity to evaluate and say, where does this person land? I'll pause there. The many learnings, but these were some of the styles which have uh, changed. I'm very proud of them because uh, uh, nothing, a, a, a situation does not bother me now. I now know how to handle it, even if I have a, let's say, a very riotous set of people reporting to me. But I also feel sad that it took me, this learning took a journey rather than came to me instantly. I would have been extraordinarily proud if it had come to me instantly. Of course, right from your book to a lot of things, there are a lot more things that uh, I'd love to talk about. But we'll probably do that in a, another conversation. Sure, sure. Now to uh, kind of uh, close, there's one question based on what you said just now about all the learnings. Yeah. Uh, and based on that answer, I might have one more question. Sure. So the, the first is, given all your learning and the experience, if you were to start your career now, would you choose IT? Yes. Short answer is absolutely yes. And you would be very surprised when I joined IT 25 years ago. Uh, I saw myself as a management and a salesperson. And I said, I'm as comfortable working for a tire company or a rubber company as I am for a technology company. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a reverse uh, example of a reverse person. After 25 years, uh, if you now put me back, I would be very insistent that I work on technology because I feel uh, technology can solve the world problem faster than many other things. Should. Okay, that's nice. Because usually like to ask a question as a, a tip for people who are aspiring to get into IT. So that means that IT still has scope and then people can do things. Go ahead. Can I just 
add one more uh, point to that it just occurred to me sure uh, there is this concept today which is very valuable concept of full stack engineer i'm sure you are fully aware of mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. saying don't be overly specialized just in saying i will code or i will test you should be everything mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the layers of uh, the sdlc you pretty much should have you should have a core competence but you should also know around the periphery fair bit of things i would say i would apply the same concept and perhaps nobody has thought of this phrase a full stack leader and that's a topic in itself but i would urge a lot of people to say as much as you join the software industry to become a full stack engineer explore and find out what does it mean to become a full stack manager and then a full stack leader uh, that is actually a little different from the question that i had because sure. along with the full stack we also talk about you know, t shaped or a t experienced individuals who have a lot of breadth but specialize in some things yes so my question is yeah if you are restarting in it what would be your ideal role what role would you like to play i would i would like to ta- uh, it's, it's a great question i'm i'm stumbling a little bit because i have so much to tell you uh, but to put it very in short i would like to be a detail a deep person who then goes to become a broader person uh, mm. that means a mile deep and a few inch wide before becoming a mile wide and a few inch deep uh, okay. this is again completely contrary to what i was when i graduated from my management and came because i was i had told myself that i'm not a good technology guy i'm not a good coder or a tester or an architect my understanding of myself and others is different now i believe we all we can compensate for lack of natural gift in terms of working hard focusing on things etc uh, and therefore i i would follow that path though although i would say there is no one answer to saying should you be mile deep and few inches wide or a mile wide and a few inches deep the answer i would say is individuals are very, human beings are very different individuals are different. some like it deep some like it wide you have to go your natural way but in an organization as a leader you compensate for a wide guy with a deep guy another set of deep people with a set of wide people so the sum total of all this is a large wide crater which is deep as well that's what you're looking interesting analogy so that's about all the time we have for today i'm sure uh, i'll have another opportunity to explore deeper your ideas on book and leadership because there are a lot more questions triggered by you know what you shared just now thank you shiv i enjoyed this thoroughly and if you were to call me again i'd be more than happy to come anytime if you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com there is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com please rate the show on podchaser stitcher iTunes or any other podcast client that you find us on please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show do write to us at this email address 
podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.